Happy Father's Day to all the dads out there. Hope that it is a a great one for you. We're going to continue in a series of teachings on on God's amazing uh, grace and just all the facets of that grace. If you've been around here for a while, you have uh, probably heard me say, uh, maybe on more than than one occasion, just something that is just so dear to my heart and just kind of a a, really a focus of of, for my life and teaching. And it's just simply this. That God loves you just the way that you are. And he loves you way, way, way too much to leave you that way. And that whole statement is God's grace. It is God's grace to to love us just the way that we are. Well, whatever you bring to the the table this morning, whatever your background, whatever your baggage, uh, good, bad, whatever, God loves you just the way that you are because it's not based on who you are. It's not based on your performance. It's based on the unerring, unfailing, everlasting God's love for you. But it is equally true and it is equally a work of God's grace that he loves you and I way too much to leave us as we are. And so that God in his grace takes a a work and he begins to move in our lives to shape us and remake us and reform us and conform us to the image of his son, Jesus Christ. Around here we talk about the fact that when God is at work in our lives, he wants to make us more and more like Jesus Christ. He wants us to live like Jesus lived so that more and more our character and our conduct reflects the character and the conduct of Jesus. Jesus Christ. That God is going to work in us so that we will love like Jesus loved. So that our our love for the Father will be first and foremost, the highest and best of our love. That that God's love will permeate the, 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 the horizontal relationships of our life, beginning in our own family and extending out uh, in those kind of concentric circles of our relationships. That we're going to love with God's kind of love. But also that we will leave behind what Jesus left behind. And Jesus left behind a a legacy of of lives touched by by ministry, by good deeds, by works. And that will look different for every one of us based on our giftedness, based on our opportunities. On and on it will go. But we will leave behind a legacy of lives touched through our life. But also that God wants us to strategically invest in lives the way that Jesus invested in lives so that folks will be able to carry on the mission of Christ in those future generations. And Doug was even talking about those arrows just a moment ago. And even part of that front lines of the investment may be for parents investing in the lives of their children. We talk about making disciples who can make disciples that God wants to work in our lives. He loves you just the way you are. You could not do anything today that will make him love you more. But he loves you way, way, way too much to leave you the way that you are. And he is going to continue a good work that he has begun in you. And both the beginning and all of the process throughout is a mark of his grace. But that means I got to grow. And it means you got to grow. And it means that we have a role to play in that. So the scripture not only assures us of a God who is, who is working in us, but we are called to work. Notice, notice how Peter puts it. But grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. This is not an option. This is not something to consider for the super spiritually elite. No, for everybody that is a follower of Jesus Christ, there is a calling. There is a command to grow, to continually grow in the grace, in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ, which begs the question, how do I do that again? I mean, how do we grow in the grace and knowledge? How do we grow in this amazing thing called God's grace? And if I can summarize the answer just into two words, it would simply be dependent discipline. Dependent discipline. That I am called, you are called to this relationship where God is going to not leave us the way that we are, 
But he is calling us to engage in this journey of dependent discipline. And I think one of the best places in Scripture that kind of sums this up is found in Philippians 2. And we've looked at this before, so I'm going to move through this part uh, pretty quickly. But Philippians 2, uh, the first uh, 11 verses, Paul's talking about the example of the humility of Jesus Christ. And, and with, with that kind of great picture of this is who Jesus is, this is who we are more and more to become. And then he picks it up in verse 12. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only is in my presence, but much more in my absence. And then this is where he begins to speak about dependent discipline. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. I want you to see this wonderful balance, this this tension, this dynamic at work of dependent discipline right there and really the verse and a half of the second part of verse 12 into verse 13. He talks about working out, work out your salvation, that it's not work for your salvation. It's not something we can earn or achieve because there's no way we could ever do that, but it is to work out, to work out the implications of it, to work out those implications into every facet of my being. So I have been touched by the grace of God. Let that grace touch every facet of my being. My thoughts, my actions, my words, my relationships, my resources, on and on and it goes. My vocation, my hobbies. Let everything be touched. Let everything be impacted and infiltrated by the salvation, by the transforming work that God has done and is doing in you. But also notice he talks about your salvation. And I just highlight that just as a reminder. This is an individual assignment. Yes, it is. we are called to this dynamic partnership, if you will, certainly an unequal partnership, but a partnership with God. But it is your assignment. You can't ship this one out. You can't, you can't subcontract this one, all right? This is your assignment. You're the only one who can work out the implications of your salvation, and what that means is that I have to accept personal responsibility here. I need, I gotta own this part of it. I mean, I can't, I can't blame my parents, my spouse, my children, my work. I, I can't, can't blame the church. It's not the preacher's fault, you know. I mean, it, I am responsible. I am responsible. All those things may help, but I am responsible. This is God's calling on my life. Now, at that point, you may start to feel the weight of that and maybe even even pull back a little bit like, hmm, too much, until Paul reminds us, for it is God, for it is God who works in you. It is God who works in you. The, the, the works in there is where we get our English word energy. It is God who gives you the energy. It is God who energizes your efforts. It is God who gives you the desire and gives you the capacity to work out all the implications of his transforming grace in your life. And so this reminds us, yes, I am responsible. Yes, I am to pursue this passionately. But I do that in dependence upon God. I am dependent upon God's spirit at work within me. One of the illustrations that's, that's been helpful to me, and I've shared that with some of you before, is just, is just kind of an illustration of a farmer at work. And some of you grew up on farms. Some of you maybe did some gardening, maybe still do uh, along the way. But what you know is if a farm is going to be successful, there are some things that a farmer and family and maybe anybody else he can get a hold of absolutely must do. There are things that the farmer can and must do. And we can just summarize them maybe in just a few words. He's got to plow, plant, fertilize, irrigate, cultivate. He's got to show up at harvest time and, and get it in in a timely fashion. He has got to do all of those things. If the farmer doesn't do those things, he's going to go hungry, right? There's going to be one skinny farmer's family, right? I mean, they're, they're just they're not going to have a whole lot. But no matter how hard that farmer works, no matter how diligent that farm family is, there are some things that they cannot do. 
They can't control the weather. A drought sweeps through and it changes everything. Floods come and it's beyond their control. They're a citrus grower and it happens to hit a hard freeze at just the wrong time in the spring. They're in trouble. They cannot control the weather. And no matter how good, no matter how talented, no matter how hardworking they are, they really can't make it grow. They can do everything they can with the soil and and protecting and and even trying to give water or appropriate temperatures or whatever it may be, but they in the end can't make it grow. It is the dynamic of life that God has placed within it, and they can't control that. And in much the same way, there are things that when it comes to growing in the grace of God that I can and must do. But I am absolutely dependent upon God. There are things I can't do. And what I do, I do empowered by God. And this is where sometimes folks get messed up when we talk about grace. And that's one of the reasons I wanted to spend some time on this in this series. Please hear me. Grace doesn't make my efforts unnecessary. Grace makes my efforts effective. Some folks say, well, if it's grace, then I don't do anything. No, 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 no. Grace doesn't make your efforts, your expenditure of energy unnecessary. What grace does, it makes it possible and it makes it effective. Grace is not opposed to effort. Please cross that out of your mind. Grace is always opposed to earning. I don't earn anything. It is by God's grace. But he has called me into this dependent discipline, this partnership along the way. Now, at this point, if you hang out at churches, you might say, okay, I know where this message is going. We're going to spend the rest of our time, and and Jeff's going to talk to us about uh, about, uh, spending time in in God's Word, reading, studying, memorizing, meditating, uh, those those sort of things. Maybe to talk to us about personal worship or prayer uh, and those sort of things. And, And I could and love to talk about all of those things, and those are absolutely that and so much more, journaling, fasting, giving, serving, all those things. All of those are our spiritual growth habits, if you will. But what I want to do this morning is go uh, one level deeper than that. And I'm not discounting that at all. In fact, is we are so passionate about this, but even a couple times a year, we, we have a seminar on, on Sunday mornings uh, on basic spiritual growth habits. It'll, it'll be offered again in the fall. Some of you may want to sign up for that as maybe first-time exposure to some of those or maybe just a refresher on some of those along the way. So we are passionate about those spiritual growth habits. But what I have also discovered in my own life and in the lives of others through the years is that you, you can engage in those habits, but if there is not a firm foundation underneath those habits, you're not going to experience everything that God wants you to experience through that. And what I have found in my own life and in the lives of others is sometimes we can engage in these uh, personal spiritual growth habits or practices or some call spiritual disciplines. But if we don't have some foundational disciplines in place, it will stall any growth that we have. And so what I want to spend time on this morning is kind of four cornerstones, four foundational disciplines that are behind the spiritual growth habits. Think about it this way. You have this wonderful house and all the rooms and uh, the nice uh, front and door, windows, all those things. Those can be the spiritual growth practices or spiritual growth habits. But if it's sitting on a weak foundation, it's going to crack and crumble eventually, right? It's not going to hold up. You you can have some of the best spiritual growth practices, but if you don't have this firm foundation, these four cornerstones underneath, you're going to find some cracks along the way. You're not going to experience all the transforming grace that God wants to open up in your life. So I want to talk to you about those four habits. The first one is the discipline of commitment, the discipline of 
commitment. Notice the way that, that Paul kind of challenges the Romans. He spends all this time in the letter talking about God's amazing grace and rescuing us and saving us. And then he kind of makes a turn in, in beginning chapter 12. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, built upon God's grace and all that he's done for us, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. The, this, this commitment, this God, I am all in, all in. I am presenting my body, it's representative of my total being, as a holy and living sacrifice to you. The psalmist put it this way, I have sworn an oath and confirmed it to keep your righteous rules. I'm not just reading this stuff. I'm not just studying this stuff. I mark it down. I have sworn an oath. I have confirmed it. I am going to not just know these things. I am going to keep your righteous rules. And maybe the difference between uh, what some have called cruise control obedience and race car obedience, all right? Cruise control obedience and race car obedience. Some of you are NASCAR fans, a few Indy uh, car fans uh, perhaps scattered in, in the bunch. When race car drivers get together, when they, they're doing their thing on the Sunday or whenever it is, Saturday night, whenever they're going hard after it, none of them are using cruise control, right? <laughs> no way. I mean, they're, they're going hard after it. I mean, Pedals down, shifting gears, bumping cars, communicating. They got folks watching and spotting and helping them along the way. They're whipping into that pit, and they're going to turn that car around quick so they can get out quick and just get that edge. They're trying to calculate fuel and tire wear and all of those things. I mean, this is serious business because they're just not out cruising, right? They're trying to win a race. They're trying to come in first. They want to be the first one to see that checkered flag. But then others are going to be driving on a Saturday night or a Sunday, and they're going to just click into cruise control. They get a comfortable speed for them, and they push the button, and they just put it in cruise control. And they just, they're just going to do what they do. They're not going to worry about timing and who's ahead or what. They're just they're in cruise control. There are a lot of followers of Christ who get to a point, get to a stage where they're comfortable. And where they're comfortable, they hit cruise control. And they, they just kind of maintain. They just kind of keep doing the same thing in the same way. Not, not, not going to get too fast, not going to get too intense. Cruise control obedience. And if you put it into cruise control, quite honestly, you can pray. You can go to church. You can go to Bible study. You can do all these things. But you're not going to experience all of God's transforming grace in your life because the foundation is missing. I'm going to put a question with each of these disciplines. Here's the first question. Is it my intention? Is it really my intention? And this is a simple question with huge implications. Is it my intention to please God in all, and you might want to underline all, in all my actions? Is this really my intention? I mean, when, when I think about the last week that I just lived, was it really my intention? Did I really purpose in my mind and in my heart that with everything I do, every conversation, every, every use of my time, uh, whether it was home, work, hobby, whatever it may be, was, was there really an intentionality about my life, race car driver intentionality, that I am going to please God in everything I do because if that foundation stone is not in place we will not we will not experience all of God's transforming grace William Law uh, writer of certainly another area era in his classic a serious call to a devout and holy life puts it this way let me just read you some of his words and if you will here stop and ask yourself 
Why are you not as holy as the primitive Christians were? Your own heart will tell you that it is neither through ignorance nor inability, but purely because you have never thoroughly intended it. This doctrine does not suppose that we have no need of divine grace or that it is our own power to make ourselves perfect. It only supposes that through the lack of a sincere intention of pleasing God in all our actions, we fall into such irregularities of life as by the ordinary means of grace we should have the power to avoid. Sometimes somebody says, well, you know, I, I, I've read the Bible, I've been in this Bible study, I've prayed, and it doesn't seem to help. Sometimes you just go back to this first foundation piece. Is it really your intention? I mean, come on, let's get gut level honest. Is it really my intention to please God in all my actions? Or am I just going to settle for cruise control? Get comfortable. Do the American thing. Do cultural Christianity. Just God enough so I don't get in like major blow up. Or is it my intention to please God in all my actions? First foundation stone. Second is the discipline of convictions. And by the way, these are all kind of connected and interrelated. The discipline of convictions. So that Paul continues as he urged them to present their bodies as a living sacrifice. He gives them a, a, an important key as to how that can happen. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. That by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. That if you are going to experience this transformation, if you're going to be able to live out this calling as a holy and living sacrifice, there's going to have to be something that takes place at the mind level, at the thinking level. There's going to require a renewal of the mind. When God was preparing Joshua to take over the leadership for Moses in the Old Testament, he spoke to Joshua about the importance of how he thought of his mind, of the convictions that he would form. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. You, you, you immerse your mind in it, but then you have to purpose, you have to intend to do it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. Said another way, if I'm really going to grow in grace, I must develop Bible-based convictions. I must have my mind continually aligning with the revealed truth of God through His Word, through the Scripture, through the Bible. Because what we find in life is that how, how we believe determines how we behave. What you and I will believe will determine how we behave. You want to know what you really believe? Don't just listen to your conversation. Watch your behavior. You say, no, I really believe this. I, I talk about it. I said it in a Bible study. I've told other people about it. Well, yes, but if your behavior doesn't line up with that, then it probably says you believe some other things as well. Maybe some things that are contradictory or at least in conflict with what your stated beliefs are. Ultimately, our behavior flows from our beliefs. And you say, well, Jeff, that, that you, just, you know, just don't understand. It's just the world we live in. It's challenging. It's difficult and all those things. We're going to talk about that in a minute. But I, I want to take you back to Philippians 2 there for just a moment. He, he's calling them to work out their salvation, knowing that it is God who is at work within them. And then he, he just go pick up verse 15, that you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish, in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life. 
in the midst of this crooked and perverse generation, you are to stand out. You are to stand out because you live differently and you live differently because you think differently, because you are holding fast to the word of life. And so I have to ask myself on just a continual basis, am I intentionally, and notice the word intentionally here, there's kind of a theme, am I intentionally allowing my beliefs and behavior to be shaped by the Bible, or am I looking for only those parts of the Bible that might affirm my beliefs or behavior. Now, I know that's a long sentence. English majors probably say that's like a run-on sentence or something there. But, but what, sit with it. And in, Am I intentionally allowing my beliefs and behavior to be shaped by the Bible? Or am I looking for only those parts of the Bible that might affirm my beliefs or behavior? When I talk about this uh, with folks, I, I sometimes just will we'll hold a Bible and I talk about, well, let's, let's, let's take this, this Bible, this, this revelation of God to us with all its promises, its truths, its, its principles, its precepts. And if you can think about my fist being kind of my, uh, my beliefs, my, my convictions about different things. The question is, when, when, when the, those come together, particularly if there's something in my beliefs that's different from the Bible, what happens? Because a lot of things have gone into my belief system. Uh, things I've read, things I've watched, things I've listened to, the family I grew up in, the friends I have, the experiences, uh, models or heroes in my life, all of those things. A lot of things have gone into shaping my belief system. So when it comes, uh, it comes to the Bible, the question is, if there is this conflict, if there is this contradiction, do I take my beliefs and submit them under the authority of God's Word, allowing my life more and more to align with the truth of God's Word? Or do I take my beliefs and put them above the authority of God's Word and I kind of start picking out things that I like? Like that verse. That, I agree with that one. Give me some of that promise. That one, not so much. No, 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 thank you. Don't want that one. That doesn't really apply to me. And so what happens is, and, and the, our churches are filled with folks like this. You know folks like this. We would say, are you a Bible-believing Christian? Absolutely. But in reality, I believe some of what I want to believe, and I pick and choose the things from the Bible. If I'm going to really grow in God's transforming grace, when those areas of conflict and contradiction come, I'm not going to put my beliefs above the Bible. I'm going to begin to align my beliefs, submitting them to the authority of God's Word. Am I? Am I intentional in allowing my beliefs and behavior? Now, please hear me. I understand I'm the first one in the line that says I'm educated well beyond my level of obedience. The question is, 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 there, is there a movement here? Is, is the direction of my life more and more for my beliefs and my behavior to come in alignment with God's revealed truth? There's a conviction, a discipline of commitment. There's the discipline of convictions. The third part of this foundation, the third foundation stone, is the discipline of choices. The discipline of choices. We make choices on a daily basis, and those choices impact our lives. Again, to the Romans letter that Paul wrote. For just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, so now present Present your members as slaves to righteousness, leading to sanctification. Paul's saying, make different choices. You used to live this way. You used to choose these things. You used to present the members of your body uh, in this direction. But now, as a follower of Christ, present them in a different direction. Make different choices. And notice he says, those choices lead somewhere, leading to more lawlessness or leading to sanctification. Paul writing to Timothy, he said, Timothy, understand that we are always in training. Train yourself for godliness. Have nothing to do with irreverent, silly myths. 
Rather, train yourself. Be intentional about your choices. Train yourself for godliness. For while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. Titus connects the grace of God and the choices we make. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people. But notice what this grace also does. Training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age. Sometimes we we, we think about our choices as these isolated, one-off things. But our our choices are much more than that. Every day, every day, I make, every day, you make, we make choices. And with those choices, we are training ourselves in one direction or another. Please understand, every choice I make, every choice you make, it's it's not just an isolated thing, but it's a step. It's a step in a direction, and that direction always leads to a destination. Every choice I make is a step in a direction. I may not be consciously aware of it in that moment, but it is a step in a direction, and that direction is always leading to some destination. You present your members to sin. You present them as instruments of unrighteousness. It's a step in a direction leading to a place, a destination, more lawlessness. You step in another direction, you step in another direction. You take a step presenting your members as a slave to righteousness. It's a step in a direction. It's leading to a destination, leading to sanctification. Every choice we make is, is leading us in a direction. It's a step, a direction that has a destination. Dr. Henry Cloud, when he's, he's talking about our, our, our choices, he says, he says sometimes we, we kind of fall into the trap of thinking this moment, this choice, it's just, it's just a single picture. It's, it's a snapshot, if you will, right? It's, a, it's just a one Instagram thing, right? We just put it out there, poof, that's it. Has a beginning, has an end, it's just right here in this little box. But that's not how life works. It's not a single snapshot, but it's a frame in a movie. And so what Dr. Cloud encourages clients to do, he says, play the movie, Play the movie. Don't just see that single snapshot, but play the movie. Because what it is, that choice is a step in a direction that has a destination. And so you need to say, this is the choice I make. Where is it leading me? Let me play that movie out. And what's, the, what's that story going to be? And is that really the story I want to write? Is that really what I want to do? And see, every choice, it kind of reinforces a direction. It reinforces us, it trains us in this direction. Choices are not isolated, but they are taking us in a direction that leads to a destination, and it's training us. That's why, isn't it easier maybe if you're trying to start exercising, and then you kind of get off for a week or two? Maybe you were just busy or you were sick or crazy family or whatever it was. And isn't it amazing that just getting off track for a few days, how it can make it so difficult to get back? Right? Okay, I'm the only one that's had that happen. But let me tell you how it works for me. It's so difficult. Why? Because choices are not isolated. They're steps in a direction that lead to a destination, and they train you in that direction. So that if I have peanut M&M's sitting at the house, I'm just going to get a couple every single time I walk by there, right? right. Why? It, I get, it, it just kind of reinforces that. It reinforces that. And, and so the, this, this, this choice is about... Not just this moment, but it's part of a larger story. It's part of a movie. It's training me in one direction or another. That's why I have to have the discipline of choices. Don't just read this Bible and say, boy, that's, yeah, that's a real good thing, man. Isn't that a good point? We all need to remember that. Let's pray and go home. But what choice are you going to make 
that aligns with the truth that God has revealed to you. Dawson Trotman, the founder of the Navigators, put it this way. He said, you are going to be what you are now becoming. Kind of the same thing as playing the movie. You are, you are going to be what you are now becoming. You, you are making this choice today. It is a direction. It will lead to a destination. You are now, you are going to be what you are now becoming by the choices you make. I get amazed time and time again how all of us can fool ourselves. We can fool ourselves and think, I know, I know, but that's, that's just a little thing. That's just a little thing. That, that's just a little thing. Listen, I can change. I can quit. I can do this any other. I can change in just a moment. And we, we kind of convince ourselves and sometimes even tell other people, listen, I, I know I've been kind of this way in these little things, but this is one thing I want you to know. <laughs> when it comes to that big moment, When it comes to that big opportunity, when it comes to that important thing, buddy, you can count on me. I will show up. I will, I will be strong. I will, I will be there. But what we don't realize is that our character isn't shaped in just those big moments. Our character is shaped in those thousand little choices between the big moments. And what happens in the big moments, what happens when the pressure's on, what happens when the trial comes crashing in, what happens when things blow up around you is a revelation of all the choices you've been making along the way because those little choices have shaped your character. You are going to be what you are now becoming. Little choices shape the big moment. Goofy illustration, perhaps, but think about it. Th- think about if, if, if at the end of the service we had somebody stand up and they said, listen, we have this great opportunity today. It's Father's Day, and somebody has pledged all this money to some cause that you are passionate about for everybody that finishes this marathon. So 2 o'clock, get here, and we're going to run a marathon today. Woo-hoo! How many of you are going to be here at 2 o'clock, right? Are you kidding me? Now, if you're thinking about like a movie marathon, some of us are there, right? But like you mean running 26 point something miles? Even if you wanted to do it with every fiber of your being, most of us couldn't because we haven't trained toward it. Sometimes... We can't show up in the big moment at the big opportunity, not because we don't want to, not because we're not sincere, but because we haven't trained toward it. We haven't trained toward it by those thousands of little choices along the way. These are all connected, all connected. Do I regularly evaluate my choices against the backdrop of what direction they're taking me in and training me for? Do I think about my choices as just these isolated things, it's just this moment for this day, or do I understand it's part of a movie? Do I understand it against the backdrop of what direction they're taking me in, and that direction has a destination, and every choice is training me in one direction or another, making it easier to continue in that direction? Discipline of commitment, of conviction, of choices. The last discipline that I want to talk about is the discipline of watchfulness. The discipline of watchfulness as we put this last stone in the foundation. Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane as he's preparing for that trial and crucifixion, he, he speaks into the lives of his disciples. Watch and pray. Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. Jesus is saying, pay attention, pay attention. Don't just do cruise control, pay attention. Be aware of what's going on around you. Be aware of what's in front of you. Be aware of what's coming up behind you. Watch and pray, watch and pray. And as part of this watchfulness, we need to know a couple of things. We need to know, first of all, our enemies. We need to know our enemies. And, and the scripture kind of talks about, we have the, these forces, if you will, that wage war against God's transforming grace in our life. You see kind of the three of them that have been historically talked about, kind of summarized.
summarized in the first three verses of Ephesians 2. And you were dead before Christ intervened with his saving grace. You were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. You've probably heard this before, maybe heard some old preacher talking about it or read it in a book or something, but but historically we've talked about kind of three enemies, the world, the world, the flesh, and the devil. The world, the flesh, and the devil. The world is this, this world system. So Ephesians talks about the, uh, the, the course of this world, this world system. We do not live in a morally neutral environment. We live in an environment that is hostile and at times increasingly hostile to the ways of God, the truth of God, and the things of God. And we have to be aware of that. So we have to be watchful in this world. What is the message of that movie? What is the message of that song? What is, the, what, what is kind of the thinking behind this conversation? Where is the pressure to conform to this world instead of be transformed by the grace of Jesus Christ? To understand, I do not live in a morally neutral environment. And then we have the, the flesh that that principle within us, some call, sometimes called the, the, the sin principle. Um, in my not yet fully redeemed physical body, that there is still some propensity to go my way instead of God's way. That's why Paul would write about, and we can all identify, there are things that I don't want to do, I end up doing. There are things I want to do, I end up not doing. Why? Why? I have a new nature. I'm a new creation in Jesus Christ, in part because you also still have within you this, this flesh, this, this sin principle that wages war. So there's kind of this internal guerrilla war, even as there is this world around me. And we can think about it all being orchestrated by the enemy of our soul, the, the, the devil. Sometimes it's also Satan. Uh, Peter talks about him as the adversary. Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. This is the world in which we live. And because of that, we have to be watchful. Know your enemies, but also know yourself. Know yourself. James talks about this kind of living in the world in which we live and and what's going on inside us. And when those two meet, sometimes they meet in destructive ways. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desires. Part of knowing yourself is just to say, where, where am I vulnerable? And we all have areas in our life where we have to be a little more diligent. We have to give a little more attention to. We just have to be aware. Maybe part of that is just just because of just the, the season of life I'm in or the storm I'm going through. Maybe it's something from my past that just makes me a little more vulnerable to doing stupid in this area, right? Maybe it's even family I grew up, whatever it might be. Pressures I'm in, friends I hang with. But I just have to be aware of that. There, these are things. There are things that I struggle with that some of you are saying, what's the big deal? If you were spiritual, you wouldn't have any problem with that, right? And there are things that maybe you're real vulnerable to that I'm thinking, why in the world would anybody struggle with that? It's different. That's why it is imperative for you to know yourself. Know what are those things kind of lurking there when you, you, your own desires that can meet these things in the world and lure and entice you, just like a, a fish seeing that big old juicy worm and chomping down only to discover there's a hook inside, right? And to be aware, know yourself. Sometimes knowing yourself is also being aware of areas of pride, of pride. Paul warned the Corinthians, therefore let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed lest he fall. And you've heard, I've heard too many stories. We won't recount them this morning. But but somebody that maybe looked at another person, maybe saw somebody that stumbled in there and they said, well, I'll tell you what, that would never happen to me. I would never be foolish. I would never get caught up in that. I'd never do something like that. Be careful. Be watchful. If you think you stand, take heed lest you fall. Proverbs talks about pride does indeed goeth before the fall. Let me just even just talk to you personally out of this for just a moment. Just 
even just out of the the journey the Lord's had us on just a couple weeks ago, I just I just took a couple of days just to be away, and just part of the purpose of that was just I just wanted to have some time to sit before the Lord, and just you know paper and pen, sometimes keyboard, just to say, okay, God, this isn't how I saw this thing going. This wasn't my plan. Didn't sign up for this. That this is where you have me. So how do I steward this season of life? What is this going to look like? And you know, God is so gracious to meet you in those moments if you just really come wide open to him. And I could tell you lots of stuff, but I just want to focus on just one little part of that right now. And this is one part I really didn't expect to hear. But part of what I heard was, be watchful. Be watchful. That you don't fully appreciate the toll that this journey has taken on you. And because of that, you don't fully appreciate the vulnerabilities that you have right now. And that you may be closer to stupid than you think, right? And part of the walk away of that was, there's some things to get healthy, but part of the walk away was, this is a potentially hazardous season. There's some landmines out there that you haven't walked through before. Be watchful. Watch and pray so that you don't fall into temptation. And so as we think about the fourth discipline, I give you the fourth question. Am I watchful and prayerful? Am I watchful and prayerful, being aware of the reality of the world that we live in? Am I paying attention to my my spiritual enemies and my own tendencies? Do I know myself? Do I know the season of life I'm in? Do I know the things that I bring from my past that perhaps make me particularly vulnerable to this, this, or this? Do I know some of the tendencies and the behavior patterns that I've exhibited in the past? Am I prayerful and am I watchful, paying attention to those in the presence of my enemies? Now, it is Father's Day, and so let me just take a a moment and exhort our men. And not that this message does not apply to every one of us, it does. But can I just say, guys, the crying, crying need of this world is for godly men. I don't know if there's, I'm sure there have been moments even in the history of our country where the need has been as great or maybe greater. But, but the crying need is for godly men. Godly men who will say, I'm not going to settle for cultural Christianity. I'm not going to let the world dictate to me right and wrong. I'm not going to settle for cruise control obedience. But I want my life to matter. I want my one and only life to really, really, really matter. And because of that, I'm going to engage in some spiritual habits, but I'm going to undergird those with a firm foundation. With God's enabling grace, I'm going to be a man of commitment. I am going to to make it my intention to please him in all of my actions, whether anybody else goes or not. I'm going to be a man who who develops Bible-based convictions. I'm not going to let the world around me tell me what to think or believe. I'm going to go first and foremost to God's word. Am I going to, to, to be a man who, who, who comes and, and understands my choices matter? I'm not going to excuse myself. It's a little thing. It's an unimportant thing. Nobody seeing, nobody watches, nobody cares. But I'm going to understand every single day I am training myself in one direction or another. With every choice I make, I am taking a step in a direction that inevitably is going to lead to a destination that is going to impact my life, my family's life, is going to impact the cause of Christ around me and across the world. I am going to be a man who understands that I live in a world that is not morally neutral. I am going to be a man who understands I don't even today have to go looking for trouble. Trouble can come looking for me. And I am going to be a man who develops the discipline of watchfulness. I am going to watch 
and pray. The, the world needs those kind of men. If you're married, your spouse needs that kind of man. If you have children, your children need that kind of daddy. The kingdom of God is looking for men of God who will be men who build their lives on those foundational disciplines. But here's, here's an encouragement. Man, Jeff, that is so much. And it seems so hard. Yeah. But, <laughs> for it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. You can do it by his enabling grace. Would you bow your heads with me as we pray right now? And as we're praying, I'm just going to ask you to to just look on your note-taking guide under that section that says making it personal. And we've just summarized those four questions there for you right now. And even as I pray for you, I'm just going to ask you to look at those questions, every man, woman, child. And I'm going to ask you, just as you're in this prayer, would you just maybe star or circle just one of those questions? If you need to circle more than one, that's fine, but just start with one. And just say, this is the question. This is the question that I am really going to focus on this week. I'm going to just, I will read this question every week. I will ask this question every day this week. And God, just show me. Show me where to start. Father, I, I pray right now that you would just take these very simple questions and lead us to some transforming answers. Lord, I just pray right now that you're just graciously speaking to minds to hearts to lives Father of those four questions where do we start what is the one that I need to sit on this week and just ask your grace to work in me to will and to work for your good pleasure Father, I just pray right now as you just direct us to that question, Lord, I, I pray right now that you're speaking to some hearts and minds about their relationship with you. Father, I pray today that there, there, there might be a dad in this room right now, that you, on this Father's Day, you're drawing them to you. You're asking them to trust you as their Abba Father. Today, you're calling them to turn to turn from sin, to turn from self, to turn from settling for less than your best, and to turn and place their faith and trust in the finished work of Jesus Christ, the life he lived, the death he died on the cross, the resurrection. Lord, let today they would cry out to you to be their forgiver, their Savior, their leader and Lord. Father, draw them, draw them to your saving grace, and then transform them through that transforming grace. So you just continue to sit before the Lord.